You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. We started a series uh, last week that's really going to last all summer, and and you can tell from uh, all the stuff on the wall behind me and on the screens that the series is entitled Jesus Said It. Um, what we're doing is, is just trying to look at some very challenging things that Jesus said. And as I shared with you last week, if you were here, uh, by the way, do you appreciate the chairs being back in place? Huh? If you weren't here last week, you don't understand that. We pulled pretty much all the chairs out and uh, people sit on the floor trying to give us a little bit of an understanding of what it might be like in, uh, in a third world country, underground church, to have to worship. Uh, so uh, anyway, I hope you appreciate the chairs uh, back. But uh, as I said last week, I, I've got a concern that, you know, we, we're very familiar. Those of us that are Christians, we're very familiar probably with things that Jesus said. We might even can quote a lot of things that Jesus said and, and have those things memorized. But at the same time, I'm afraid if we're not careful, we'll be so familiar with some things that Jesus said that we just take it as information and we don't allow it to impact our lives. Uh, I mentioned to you last week, we ought to be very fearful, I think, that you and I as believers would hear Jesus say something and then just walk away unchanged. Or walk away from what he has said, what we read in the Bible that he has said. Um, I, I want to qualify this probably a lot of times in this series. I don't want anyone to get the wrong uh, understanding. Because we're talking about what Jesus said, that doesn't elevate what Jesus said above the rest of the Bible. Because to be honest with you, all of it is what Jesus said. <laughs> because Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, the Bible is the inspired word of God. So it's not just those red letters in your Bible that are important. The whole Bible is important. But we're just focusing on some things that Jesus said uh, this summer that I think ought to, ought to challenge us. What we're talking about, the, because the last week we talked about Jesus coming to his first disciples, and he said, follow me. What I'm talking about by, by saying this is not that we are saved by obeying Jesus, by our works or anything like that. We're saved by faith in what Jesus did. <clears throat> what I am saying is this, the, the salvation that we have, if you know Christ is your Savior, on the other side of that salvation ought to be a salvation that works. It ought to be a salvation that's obedient. In other words, if you're going to be a follower, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, it involves more than just reading or hearing the words of Jesus, we need to apply them and put them in our lives and obey what he's saying to us. And, uh, and that's kind of the premise for this, uh, for this series. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 again, so if you, know, if you want to join me there, we're going to read several verses in a moment. As, as I said last week, uh, Jesus was talking, uh, walking by, and he, and he called his disciples, some of his first disciples, and he looked at them and he said, follow me. 
uh, the word study in that last week, if you were here, more or less Jesus was saying this, I want you to get up from where you are. I want you to come over and get behind me. And then the, the word study even meant this, with wide open eyes, I want you to give constant attention to what I do. And that's the way we ought to view the life of Jesus. That's the way we ought to view him as we read him in the scriptures. I told you last week, someone might say, yeah, that'd be easy for us if Jesus were standing here and we could physically get behind Jesus and watch exactly what he does and try and emulate what he does. Well, the truth of the matter is you can read it here and we can see the life of Jesus and and learn very significant things that we ought to apply to our lives. So he called the disciples to follow him. Today we're going in front of that a little bit in chapter 4. We were a little bit later on in chapter 4 last week. And what we're going to look at this week is this. Jesus said, it is written. Jesus said, it is written. It'll be a familiar story uh, for some of you that you have uh, heard about and and read about probably many times uh, in in your Bible study. But um, look with me at verse number 1 down through verse number 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, the response of Jesus was this, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. So look what Satan's doing. He's trying to play an it is written game with Jesus also. And he says this, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Uh, I want us to look in those verses and, and find some, some powerful truths that I think we can apply to our lives from this thought, it is written. It is written. Here's the first one. It is written when Jesus said that. That gives us a testimonial. It's like Jesus is testifying to us the authority of the Scripture. When Jesus says, it is written, he's pointing how important the Bible is, how necessary the Bible is, how important it is for us to use the Bible in our lives. In particular, when temptation comes to hit us, he is showing how important it is for us to have the Bible 
and use it in our lives. He answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That phrase in the Greek, it is written, when you look at it in the tense that is put in the Greek, really means this, it stands written. And here's the, the, the importance of that. Anything that God says always stands written. Anything that God says will never pass away. Jesus said himself he didn't come to destroy the law but, but, but to fulfill it. He said not one jot or tittle, not one little iota of, of God's word would ever pass away. If God said it, it's always significant. It's always applicable to our lives. It shall always stand. It, it means to to, uh, to grave, you know, like you were carving something in stone. It means to, to write, the, you know, the Greek word grapho. We get our uh, several English words from that, like graphics and, and, and things that we would think of. But Jesus, by saying this, he's just letting us know how important the Word of God is, how significant the Word of God is. See, the Word of God needs to have authority over our lives. The Word of God needs to have authority over the choices that we make in our lives, the way we live our lives, the direction of our lives. The Word of God needs to have that type of role in your life and in my life. Think about it like this, an instruction manual, you know? Now, you men don't understand that because we throw the instructions away and we try and put the daggum thing together. And then when we put it together backwards, then we think we better go dig the instruction manual out of the trash, right? Yeah, the man's trying to act pious. How, how many, if you've done that, raise your hand. If you thought you knew how to do it, see? How much easier would it have been if you just took the instructions that came with whatever it was you're messing with, whatever you're trying to put together, assemble. If you had taken the instructions to begin with from step one through the end of it and put it together as it ought to be. Think about that in our lives. How many times do we royally screw up? And then, later on, we consult the Scripture, and then we think, oh, I should have read that and applied it beforehand. That's the point that I'm making right now. Jesus gives total authority here to the Scriptures. He's in a spiritual battle as God in the flesh with Satan, and the way he responds each time is to say, it is written. And that's what you and I must do. We have to let the Bible, the Word of God, we have to let it have authority over our lives to where we say, thus saith the Lord. This is what is written. This is what God has said. Instead of just you know, making our own gut reaction choices or knee-jerk decisions and things like that. We need to take the instruction manual and use it to begin with and it'll keep our lives from looking like that jumbled up mess you tried to assemble and then you decided to go get the instruction sheet out. We need to allow the Word of God to be that important in our lives. See, Timothy, as Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the Bible says this, uh, part of the Scripture is... Breathed out by God and inspired. Is that what it says? Why don't we take it like that? All Scripture. That means the part you like and the part you don't like. That means the part that comforts you 
and the part that maybe lifts your spirit and makes you want to soar, and it also means a part that confronts your sin and, and, and challenges you to change things in your life that might be uncomfortable. But all of it, every bit of the Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable, it's good for us, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. God's Word needs to have authority over our decisions, over our choices, over our life. God's Word, as we'll see here, has authority over Satan. Second thing I want you to see this morning is this. It is written, is an example by Jesus for dealing with temptation. It is written, is an example by Jesus for dealing with temptation. Jesus was confronted by Satan with these temptations, and each time, as I've already said, he replied, it is written. To each temptation, Jesus replies, it is written. And by doing so, he really gives us just a tremendous example for how we ought to deal with temptations in our own life. No matter what the temptation is, no matter how how strong, how bad the temptation might be, we need to understand that we ought to say it is is written and depend upon what the Bible says. You and I need to base our lives, our choices, our decisions upon what God has said rather than upon culture or rather than upon peer pressure or rather than upon our own base desires in our life. We need to base our lives upon what God says. And that's what Jesus, as God in the flesh, gives us an example of. Look a little bit deeper at this. Uh, We're going to look at each of these temptations individually. The first temptation in verse 1 through 4 is more or less a temptation that deals with the desires of the flesh. Look at what the Bible uh, says here. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Same Holy Spirit that uh, leads Jesus to go and be baptized. You know, in the chapter right before that, And Jesus is God in the flesh. There was no need for him to be baptized. It was an example for us. And now the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness, into a desert place to be tempted by the devil. So just as the baptism of Jesus was an example for us, now the way Jesus deals with this temptation will be an example for us. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yes, he was God, but he's also human, fully human, fully God. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Look at some things that we can find in those verses as we think about an example of dealing with this temptation. This first temptation, I want you to notice the timing of it, the timing of the temptation, when it happened. It happened when Jesus was hungry. It happened, he came in to tempt Jesus after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. The word that's used there for For tempted means to test or to scrutinize, to entice, 
to examine. The root word gives the idea of piercing. Almost like let's open you up and see what's really inside of you spiritually. The verb here, the way that it's phrased in the Greek, to be tempted, describes continuous action. And and it possibly implies that Jesus was tempted in some way the whole 40 days he was there. Because in his humanity, he's off and he's alone. And and he's fasting. And, And the Bible tells us about the timing of this. He was hungry at that point in his life. The timing maybe of this temptation ought to give you and I a warning. A lot of times, I think Satan will choose the exact time to tempt us. He will choose a moment that we're weak. He will choose a moment that we're exhausted. He he will choose moments that we're emotionally distraught. I'm sorry, I can't go through this without just applying some things with Alan Wendy. He will choose a time when, when you're needy, when you're tired, when, you, when you've not had the, the rest that you need. He will look for weak spots in our lives, emotional stress and things like that, make us more, more vulnerable many times to temptation. And it's not just when we're at a weak point, as Jesus would have been in his humanity at this point from the fast. It also happens when we think we're strong. I don't have this on the screen, but if you'll, I mean, if you'll turn with me, look at these verses. We've dealt with them before in the past. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and down in verse 12 and following, the Bible says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The, the moment you and I think that we've arrived, the, the moment you and I think that we're spiritually mature enough, that we can handle stuff on our own, that we can deal with all the issues of life, that we can take whatever Satan might throw our way, in that moment in time that we delude ourselves into thinking that we're strong by ourselves, that's the exact time that we're going to fall because we're trusting in our own vain abilities instead of trusting in the power of God. Instead of depending upon Him in our lives. It goes on, thankfully. And it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I mean, right there is a promise from God, no matter what temptation comes, there's a way that we can endure it. There's a way that we can overcome it. Not in ourselves. That's what sets us up to fall to begin with. To trust in ourselves. What we have to do is stop and pray and say, God, you promised me a way of escape. You promised me a door of escape. You promised me you won't let me tempted, be tempted beyond what I'm able to stand. So God, I'm going to trust in you right now to help me run through the door of escape. And, and get away from this temptation. The timing of it was a time that Jesus would have been physically weak, a time that he was hungry. That's the method of the temptation. 
Verse 3 says this. Not only the timing of this temptation, but the method of it. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You notice how Satan developed the temptation to fit the moment? He, he, he didn't come and tempt Jesus with something that had nothing to do with the current circumstances. He came to a man, though he was God in the flesh, he came to a man in his humanity who was very hungry. And he fits the temptation to the desire in his life, to a need that he had in his life. And that was this. You've been out here all these days without food. If you're the Son of God, change these stones into bread and eat them. Now, I want you to understand something because I think some commentators and and people get the wrong idea about this. Satan is not saying, prove to me you're the Son of God. He's not doubting and he's not saying, if you're really the Son of God, prove it by doing this. Do you remember the story about the man that was filled with all the demons and came and bowed before Jesus and they knew who he was. The the Bible tells us the demons know about God. They even tremble. But they don't have faith in him. Satan understood fully who he was. It wasn't, well, prove to me that's who you are. That's not what really the temptation was about. And think about a different element. I'll come back to that in a moment of of the temptation. What necessarily is wrong with someone who is very hungry eating some food? You see, it's not just a sin to eat some food. If you eat enough of the wrong food, it can be a sin because you're destroying the temple and God wants your life to be here and use your life. Jesus, God in the flesh, could have said, poof, there's bread. He didn't need the stones. I mean, out of thin air, he could have made the bread. The the same Jesus that that later on feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. We don't even know how big the crowd is, but it would have been the 5,000 men plus the women and children with just a few fishes and loaves. All-powerful Jesus, God in the flesh, could have just said, let there be bread, and there would have been bread. So just eating the bread wouldn't have been a sin. There's more going on here. Like I said, it's, it's at a point of need in his life. He was very... Hungry. He was at a point of need, a weak spot in his life. Forty days and nights without food. Pretty good temptation, isn't it? Here, make some bread. I've just been on a diet for two weeks and I understand what he's talking about. But what you need to see is this, I think. I think what Satan is really doing is saying something like this. When he says, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. 
I believe the temptation is this. If you're God's son or since you're God's son, you shouldn't have to go hungry. I mean, since you're God's son, look out for number one. Since, since you're all powerful, God, what are you doing out here in the, in the wilderness without any food? Why are you putting yourself through this? I mean, God's son shouldn't have to go hungry. Well, why don't you think of yourself for a change? Why don't you just go ahead and change these stones into bread? I think that's the, the foundational thing that's taking place here in this temptation. See, there would be nothing inherently wrong with Jesus woof, making bread out of the air and eating it. Unless in that moment in time it was not God the Father's will for his life. And that's what would have made it wrong. It's a temptation to misuse his messianic power. To misuse his position. To change his focus. To get off track a little bit. The temptation is, is, is really something like this. Don't think of others. Just think of yourself. The, the temptation was, was something like focus on your own life. I mean, it's the same thing Satan hits us with. Live your life for yourself. Don't be involved with God's mission. Don't be involved with what God wants you to do. Don't do the things that God tells you to do. Don't take time to read your Bible and pray or spread the gospel or be part of the Great Commission or be part of the church or whatever it is. Don't take time to do that. Live your life for yourself. Make a selfish choice. And you see, the reason that that was against God's will in that moment in time for Jesus is that Jesus did not come to be served. He came to be a servant. Jesus didn't come to think about himself. He came to think about others. Jesus was not there about himself. Jesus was there carrying out the vital Mission, the most important mission that's ever taken place or ever will take place in the history of all creation. That's why Jesus was there and Satan was trying to distract him from that. Wouldn't have been a sin for Jesus to have created the bread and ate the bread. But it's like there's this temptation taking place to use his power for himself instead of fulfilling God's mission. Just like he wants to tempt us to live our lives for ourselves instead of God's mission, instead of what God calls us to. Individuals can do that. Churches can do that. A church can make it all about them and forget there's a lost world dying and going to hell. Additionally, it could have been something like this. If you're God's son, maybe this is part of what Satan was doing. If you're God's son, why in the world is really God putting you through this, the Father? Why is the Father putting you through this? He must not really care for you. Have you ever felt like that? In a bad moment? In a bad situation? Or a tragedy hits? It's really easy to think, God, you must not care about me. Why are you letting me go through this? And we get focused on ourselves and we get 
distracted from the mission that God's called us to be about. And when we do that, Satan has won the battle. Next thing I want you to see is not just the timing of this temptation or the method of it. I want you to notice the, the response to this temptation. Notice how Jesus responds. But he answered, it is written. Stands written. Always been written. Will always be. And then Jesus quotes a passage out of the Old Testament when he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's what Jesus quotes. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And he humbled you, talking to the children of Israel, when they're there in the wilderness. And he let you hunger. And then he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why did the manna come? Here's why. God promised it. God said it would come. The children of Israel are there grumbling and complaining because they're hungry. And God made them a promise that the manna would come. They were only allowed to pick up the sufficient amount for their family for the day. And He provided it daily for them. The only time they could pick up more was when the Sabbath was coming. And they could also pick up enough to have on the Sabbath. Daily, based on the promise of God, that manna came from heaven. And the point that Jesus is making, what Jesus is illustrating is simply this. We don't live by bread alone. Maybe think of it like this. We should not live our lives based upon just physical desires. We, we shouldn't live our lives just based upon maybe our own, our own base desires or temptation or wants or things that we desire for ourselves. We shouldn't live our lives based upon those things, but rather we ought to live our lives based upon every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You might could put it like this. It is much more important for you and I to feed ourselves spiritually than it is for us to feed ourselves physically. So that kind of begs for an illustration. Do we do that? Because we'll have three meals a day and think about snacks and food and everything else under the sun. How many times do you sit down with the Word of God, you and God alone, and feed yourself spiritually? Because that's the more important thing to do. To be sure that we keep ourselves spiritually fed. Not live our lives upon our own base emotions or, or temptations or, or just give in to what we always want. We need to allow the Bible to be important in our lives. To be our guide, like I said earlier, for a life in decisions. To be our guide for eternity. Instead of living our lives just based upon our own fleshly desires and wants and then just giving in previously to temptation, we need to trust in what the Word of God has to say. Think about it like this. We who are Christians, we trust in the Word of God for our eternity 
Why in the world cannot we trust the Word of God enough to allow it to make our choices in life now? And obey what God says to us now. Jesus responded, it is written. And that ought to be our response when temptation comes. Psalm 119 verse 11, David wrote this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Now I understand Jesus is God in the flesh and he's the one that had it all written and he knew all of it, you know, so that made it a little bit simpler for him. But I also understand the Bible tells us that we need to store up the word of God in our hearts because a lot of times, most of the time, when temptation hits, you're not standing there with a Bible in your hand and think, oh, let me, all right, let me research this and see what ought to be done. That, that's why we need it in our heart. So in that instant, when the temptation comes, we can understand God has already addressed that. This is what God says, and I'm going to make my decision and my choices in life based upon what God has said and not just what I am being tempted to do. Not just my own choices or decisions in life. Second main temptation was this. First one was one just kind of live your life based on your own desires. Second temptation is a temptation to test God, to test God. The Bible said then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. The second temptation is this, to wrongfully test God. To wrongfully, as, as though you know, you're, you're going to have to prove God. To do it in, in a complete wrong fashion. I'm not saying that you don't ever put the fleece out, you know, like, like happened in the Old Testament. What I am saying is this, you know, Gideon did that. But what I am saying is this. There are wrong ways to tempt God. I mean, go to a cliff and say, God, I'm going to jump off the cliff, and you better do something about it. You may be very well throwing a gauntlet down that God is not going to respond to. Because there are consequences to physical choices that we make in our lives. The problem that takes place here is that Satan turns around and he tries to use Jesus' method of saying it is written. But the problem is here. Satan actually misquotes or takes the word of God out of context. That's what he would love for you and I to do. For us to try and find some way around when we read something. I don't really like that. So surely that means something else. For us to try and change it to where it fits our wants or our desires. Instead of accepting what the Word of God says. Satan here actually quotes the Bible. Do you understand Satan knows the Bible? He knows the Scriptures? Probably better than you and I do. But he misquotes it. 
He's quoting out of Psalm 19, verse 11 and 12. We're not going to turn there. Just you know, know that's where you can find it at. But the context there is not about Jesus. What is written there is not about Jesus. It's not saying that the angels will bear Jesus up and keep him from dashing his heel against a stone. So a lot of people think that is a reference to Jesus. I don't believe it is. And here's why. Jesus don't need angels to keep him from hurting his foot on a stone. Amen? He walked on water. He could hover over the stones if he wanted to. Jesus had the ability, had he wanted to, just to float down from the top of the pinnacle of his temple. That's not what's taking place. What's taking place, once again, it is, a, is a temptation for Jesus to misuse his position and misuse his purpose, the mission that he was sent for. See, if you'll read that, the context was this. It's talking about the children of Israel. It's talking about believers who are being faithful to God, that in dangerous circumstances, God will protect them. It's not talking about Jesus, because Jesus came. Guess why? He came to suffer. He came to die. He came to bleed on a cross. That's why Jesus came. And Satan tries to misquote the scriptures here because he's hoping he can get Jesus to misuse his position and his power. Jesus didn't come to be a circus act for Satan or others. He didn't come to jump through the hoops of others. He came for a unique and a vital mission to die for your sin and for my sin and to provide salvation and to complete God's plan of redemption. Instead of coming to be protected, Jesus came to suffer and bleed and die on the cross for our sins. That's why he came. So Satan misquotes scripture here, hoping he can sidetrack Jesus. Look at the response to the temptation again. Can you guess what it is? It is. All right. We've got a cloud over the service today because of what I shared with you earlier. Okay? But wake up for a minute. The reason Alan Wendy can have hope is because it's written. You understand? Their daughter knew Christ. They'll see their daughter again. Not because of who Amy was, but because of who Jesus is and because it's written. So the response to this temptation, like the other temptation, was it is written. That's the way that he responds. And then he quotes scripture again. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You remember the story in the Old Testament, Exodus 17. Massa was there in the wilderness where the children of Israel are not grumbling now because they don't have food. They're grumbling because they don't have any water. And they're putting God to the test. So much so that they literally say, there in Exodus 17, verse 7, they literally say this, is God among us or not? I mean, if God's with us, surely we shouldn't have to be going through this. 
If God is with us, surely we shouldn't have to be without water. If God is with us, surely, you know, you shouldn't have to find out if you've got diabetes, or you shouldn't have to find out, you know, be praying for Brian. Brian just found that out also, Brian. Pray for Brian. If God's with us, surely you shouldn't have to find out that your daughter's died. You ever do that? We do, don't we? We get in a pity party for ourselves. And, and, in, and in the moment when we're down and out and we're thirsty for something maybe that we think we need, in, in that moment, it's easy for us to say, where's God at? If God is with us, if He's really with us, I mean, if He really brought us out of Egypt, if He's really among us, why in the world are we here having to do with any water? So they, they tested God. God told Moses, I want you to take a stick, and I want you to hit this rock. And when you hit this rock, out from it will flow waters. Now, this is going to blow some of your mind that's never read this and never studied the Old Testament a whole lot and things like that. If you'll read that closely, it sounds like to me that rock followed them wherever they went after that point. That the rock went with them. And the Bible also tells us that that rock is a picture of Jesus Christ. And when Moses smote the rock, it's a picture or a symbol of Jesus one day being smitten as he went to the cross. And what flowed out from Jesus is what we really needed. His blood atonement for our sins. But here they're they're testing God. They're putting God to the test. They're tempting God. They're saying, well, God, if you really care, why don't you do something? It's also referred to as Meribah in the Scripture. That means rebellion or strife or contention. So what they're doing in a very contentious, rebellious way, they are testing God. You might wonder, well, why, you know, why not do that? Why not test God? Um, how about this? Because it's written not to. Is that enough for you? He says not to do it. That's what this message is about. It is written. He says not to do it. I'm sorry, that's enough for me. If he tells me I shouldn't test him, not to test him, that's enough for me. Because he said not to do it. And that's why we need to allow the Bible to have authority over our lives. Satan knew the scriptures, but he failed to obey them. You see, no one in obeying the Bible helps us to follow God's desires rather than our own desires or rather than the devil's desires for us. The last temptation was this. Verses 8 through 11, you find the temptation to worship something or someone other than God. The Bible says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all this, Satan is saying, all this I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God in him only shall you serve Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. 
What's taking place in this temptation is more or less Satan is saying this. Jesus, why don't you take a shortcut? Take a shortcut and I'll give all this to you. I'll, I'll make you king of all this. Instead of doing it by going to the cross, just bow down and worship me. See, the Bible teaches that Satan has certain rule over things in this earth. The, the Bible even refers to him as, the, as, as the, the prince of the power of the air. Jesus talks about now is the, is the prince of this world, judged as he gets ready to go to the cross. And he's talking to his disciples. So there is some degree of authority you know, that, that Satan has over this world. But the truth of the matter is, what he's offering to Jesus, he couldn't offer because it already belonged to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus spoke it into existence. Jesus spoke creation into being. It was already his. And while sin was running in the world, and Satan is still loose in the world, causing tragedies in this earth, At the same time, it's already a done deal. Jesus is on His throne. He'll sit on His throne in this earth. He'll always sit on His throne. He's the one that's in charge. The temptation here almost seems like, when you first look at it, that it's about power and fame. But that's not really what's taking place. I think Satan is kind of saying some things like this. To Jesus, why wait? I, I can give this to you now. Don't suffer. Don't go to the cross. Take the easy way out to become king. And we might think, oh, it's just a picture of, of power and fame because that happens to us. See, Satan wants us to look at the world, doesn't he? Satan wants us to see all the stuff out there and say, I'll give you all this. Look at all the lights. Look at all the flash. Look at all the glamour. Look at everything there. I'll give it to you. But it wasn't about the power and the fame. The central problem that's taking place there is this. It was about worship. Worship. Because he said, I'll give you all this if you'll bow down and you'll worship me. The word for worship literally means to kiss. To like a dog be licking in his master's hand. To crouch before, to prostrate oneself before in homage or reverence. That, that's the, the picture that's given here in the word of worship. I've got a couple of dogs, and um, we never really kept dogs in our, in our home a lot until we uh, got these two. And I, I've had one of them doing tricks on the screen before as an illustration for you that I videotaped. But we rescued both of them. One's a German short hair pointer, and the other one's this, uh, I, I don't know, little you know, wonderful white dog <laughs> that I think is probably a cross between like a a Bichon and a Poodle or something like that uh, that we also rescued and everything. And uh, I can be on the couch studying or reading and, and things like that. And uh, if I hang my hand down sometimes because I'm the one that feeds them and I'm the one that walks them and, uh, and, and things like that, I can just hang my hand down sometimes. They'll, you know, they'll come over and lick my hand because they look at me as their master. And that's the way we ought to be about God. Because He's our, our master. We ought to be prostrate before Him. The temptation here is this. 
bow down and worship me, Jesus. Then I'll give you all this. Wasn't his to give, but it's still, that's what's part of the temptation. He's saying, don't do it by going to the cross. Do it my way. Don't stay on the path that God wants you on. Take my path. And that's the exact same temptation he throws at our lives many times in many ways to sidetrack us from being about the mission of God and what God has called us to as individuals or as a church. That he wants us to just focus on his way. Worship me. Jesus more or less responded the same way. How did he respond? It is like Jesus posted a sign, no worshiping Satan allowed, no serving Satan allowed, only worship God. Don't worship anyone else or anything else. Don't allow anything to take the position of God in your life. That's what this third temptation was about. Worship something or someone other than God. And Jesus quoted scripture again, and he said, Be gone, Satan, because it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. What I want you to get from that, this second point of the message this morning, is simply this. The example that Jesus sets for us is the way that we need to practice in our lives. We need to follow His example. When temptation comes, you and I need to know the Word of God well enough for us to respond I'm not going to do that, and here's why. Because God said differently. And we can quote Scripture and depend upon what God says instead of temptations or the own base desires in our life. One real quick point, and then uh, we'll close with the last one. Satan a lot of times does the exact same thing. He wants to get our attention off of God. He wants us to look at the world. He wants us to look at what we want. He wants us to look at the things of the world. What Jesus did here was quote, once again, the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And then verse 13 says this, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Last point. It is written, shows us this also. It not only gives us a testimonial of Jesus talking about the authority of the Word of God, it is written, not only gives us an example of, for how we ought to respond to temptation. But it is written, shows us this, that Satan has no power against the words of God. Jesus stood and he quoted his own word. He stood and he quoted the words of God. And the Bible said there in verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Satan flees at the command of Jesus and at the words of Jesus because Jesus is Almighty God. 
And here's the deal with that. If we would just allow the Word of God to guide our choices, if we would just use the Word of God in our lives when we're facing temptations in our lives, if we would depend upon the Word of God, then Satan would flee and we could experience the glory of victory ourselves. Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Satan left and the angels came and ministered to Jesus. We're not told what they did. They might have brought food from heaven. It might have been the most wonderful meal that's ever been laid out before him. We're not told exactly what they did. We're just told that they came and they ministered to him. Might not have been anything more than just coming and bowing before him and saying, thank God you're so holy and you're so perfect. But in a similar way, what I'm trying to tell you is this. I think in a similar way, when we face temptations in our lives, if we will depend upon it is written, you and I can have some victory in our lives. There's a lot of times in my life I did not do that. And I'm human, and sometimes I still don't do that. But I can remember not very long after being called in the ministry, and I was still in law enforcement, having this huge temptation put in front of me. Something that my flesh would have loved to enjoy. And I can remember saying no to it. Driving away from work that night, heading home. And just feeling, I don't know, glory. <laughs> glory. Not my own, but God's glory. Because I'd said no. The opposite happens when we say yes to temptation. Because then the guilt comes and the sorrow comes into our lives. Why not follow the example of Jesus when temptation comes and say, it's written, it's written, it's written, it's written, it's written, and experience victory in your life instead of defeat. Jesus said, it is written. Thank God for the sinless nature of our Savior. Amen? Thank God He did not give in to the temptation. And here's why. We have to have a sinless, perfect Savior. And Jesus is the only one that fits the bill. As the God-man, as God incarnated in the flesh, Jesus was our perfect, sinless sacrifice as He went to the cross for our sin. Satan tried in this temptation the best he could to get Jesus to use his messianic power, to get him to use his position, to get him to divert from the purpose and the plan that God had called him to and to give him to something else. Thank God Jesus said it is written. And the challenge for us today is this. We need to understand the Word of God needs to have authority over our lives. We need to understand when temptation comes, we need to follow the example of Jesus and say it is written. And we need to realize that Satan cannot stand in the face of God's Word.
Father, this morning, Lord, we just, uh, God, we come to you in prayer and Lord, we continue to lift up uh, Alan, Wendy, and their family. We thank you, God, because it is written there is comfort that they can find in your word. Lord, I'm not apprised or familiar with every situation and things that the lives of everyone gathered here today might be facing, but you are. So, Father, whatever it is that they're facing, help them, Lord, right now, just to depend upon your word and find comfort there and find guidance. God, help us to learn to respond to to temptations with it is written and, and depend upon your word, your promises. God, not just promises that deal with our salvation, but, but promises that deal with us obeying you and following you and doing what you've called us to do. God, help us that we as individuals or as a church don't get sidetracked from the purpose that you've called us to because of temptations or issues and things that we face in our life. Help us to depend upon it is written. Lord, if there's someone here that does not know Christ as Savior, speak to their heart right now. Show them you love them so much you sent your son to go to the cross to die on that cross and shed his blood for their sins. Help them to understand right now it is written that they can be forgiven, that they can have everlasting life by trusting in Christ. God, you promise us whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It is written Father, if there's someone here today that needs that as salvation, speak to their hearts. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. As the band plays, I want to invite you, if God's speaking to your heart, especially about uh, trusting Christ as Savior, please come. Uh, You think you can handle life yourself, you can't. As Christians, we can't. We have to depend totally upon Him. We have to depend upon it as written and what the Bible says. So maybe you're a Christian that's strayed from that a little bit. Maybe you just need to come and kneel and pray if God calls you to that as a band plays or she leads us instead of the band. Nicole leads us. Maybe God will call you to come up and kneel and pray just for a moment. Maybe you just need to come up and say, God, help me the next time temptation comes. You might feel like you're cool now. I've got news for you. There's something coming your way tomorrow, the day after, whatever, there's going to be temptation. Maybe you just need to come and pray and say, God, when it hits, help me to say, it is written. Please stand. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Basement Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.